Welcome to the Classic City Sports Podcast. And McAllister down the left field line! If you're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you are in the right place. Then you are in the right place. It's third down. Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield. Underthrown and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. Hosted by Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. All right, welcome back to another episode of Classic City Sports. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Another action-packed episode for you today as the NFL Draft starts tomorrow evening. And there are a lot of Georgia players that are expected to get drafted overall. And quite a few in the first round, once again, from Georgia uh, in the projections for this season uh, or this draft as well. So we're going to jump straight into all of that here in a minute. Um that's that's pretty much the show. That's what we're going to go through and and kind of talk about each prospect that we have at Georgia and uh, kind of what we see them doing um, in the next level area and everything. Uh, Jonathan, kick it over to you. Are you excited about the draft for tomorrow? Well, yeah, I'm always excited about the NFL draft. You know, my Falcons fandom ignites uh, tomorrow evening because typically yeah. the Falcons have a pretty high draft pick because our seasons typically <laughs> don't go too well. And that's the case tomorrow. we got a pick number eight, which – that's a good spot for Atlanta. I feel like this could be a draft that could really help the Falcons turn things around with how they how active they've been in free agency, but not just because of the Falcons, but because it's just interesting to see how quickly things can change in the NFL draft. You know, we read so many NFL mock drafts, basically from like the end of the college football season all the way up until the draft happens. We're reading NFL mock drafts constantly and talking about like, oh, well, it seems like this is maybe where things are going you know, the number one pick has fluctuated a lot. Like it was Bryce Young, yeah. and then maybe like it's going to be Will Levis, and then maybe Anthony Richardson, and then maybe C.J. Stroud. And now it looks like it's back on to Bryce Young, but there's still some Will Levis talk about maybe Carolina picking him at number one overall. So there's just a lot, and things can change so quickly because if one team picks a person or a trade happens, then that changes the entire board because if a person gets picked, then maybe another – organization that switches over to another position of need in the first round and it just changes everything it's like a chain reaction so it's so hard to pinpoint what's going to happen you kind of have an idea that like for Georgia you have an a good idea or that Nolan Smith Jalen Carter and Broderick Jones are going to be first round picks but yeah. you also might have Darnell Washington or Keely Ringo sneak in there late in the first round, just kind of depending on how the entire first round goes. You know, if there's a run on cornerbacks, then maybe Keely Ringo's stock starts to go up. Or if there's a run on tight ends, like if Michael Mayer and Kincaid from Utah, they both go early on in the first round or earlier than expected, then maybe Darnell Washington gets picked up there late in the first round as well. So a lot of things can change. Like you could be looking at five total Georgia players going in the first round for the second time in a year, a second year in a row. Or you could just be sticking with your three main guys that I mentioned earlier of just going in the first round, which is still a very productive first day of the draft. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting that you bring up the it depends on what they all start doing and if it makes other people kind of panic and, you know, it's a position of need for them. So they freak out. Uh, last year, we saw that happen at wide receiver. Mm -hmm. The Falcons set off a huge chain reaction once yep. they they got a wide receiver. They drafted Drake uh, Drake London. And once they did that, I think there were like four straight picks where there were wide receivers taken and people were trading up to make their wide receiver picks because yeah. once once they started seeing them come off the board, they knew they had to move to get the guy they wanted. And so that could happen, like you said, especially at like corner. That's a position where there's only you know so many guys that are worth a first round pick. And if they start going early, then you might start seeing trades be made. Uh, you might start seeing other ones come off the board early because they don't think they're going to be available in the second round anymore. 
all that kind of stuff starts to unravel uh, when one team makes a move that maybe other people didn't expect them to do. That's that's what really sets it off. And I don't know why maybe last year the Falcons taking uh, Drake London set off the reaction because people didn't expect him to take him. But there were like he was predicted to be taken by the Falcons for a while before that draft actually happened. Um, so I don't know that it was that big of a surprise, but whatever it was, it did set off that chain reaction. Uh, but yeah, I think you're right. I think you're looking at you know three at least three guys because I think all three of the ones that you just named, Nolan Smith, Jalen Carter, and Broderick Jones, I think they're all locks to go in the first round. Um, they're all they're all might go in the top fifteen. Like they might go pass quickly. Yeah, it's very possible. Um, in fact, I was looking at the uh, the on the April eighteenth, so a week ago. They, uh, McShay, Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper did a joint like three round draft. Um, and in that three round draft, they, what they did is they alternated picks. So one got the first pick, next one got the second pick and they did it through the entire three rounds. They had Jalen Carter going number five overall to Seattle. Uh, they had, uh, Broderick going 13th overall to the Jets. And then they had, they, this is the surprising one is they actually had Nolan Smith drop all the way back to twenty. Um, and going off the board, let me see who it was, um, to Seattle. So they had Seattle taking two Georgia players. So we'll see what, we'll see what happens on that. Um, but what we were talking about a minute ago, you, you were bringing up about Nolan Smith going higher. That's why I'm kind of surprised they have him going as far back as 20 in this one, because there's a lot of buzz about the Falcons taking Nolan Smith at number eight. If they're, if, if he's, you know, or if they take that pick at eight, that, that's one of like the three names that you're really hearing right now at that eighth pick from the Falcons. Um, I still think that we have, we've been talking about this all week. Uh, I think the Falcons should probably trade back because I don't know if they really need an eighth pick, if that makes sense, that they they can trade back to maybe you know, 11, 12, 13, somewhere in that range and probably still get somebody that they really want to get. And then they can maybe pick up another uh, draft pick for later in the rounds and stuff as well. So that's kind of what I would prefer see them do overall. Cause even if they want Nolan Smith, I, I could, if they waited on him at eight, I think they could still get him a little bit later, but how about that? What, what if let's just focus on this for a second. What if the Falcons actually take a Georgia player and not only do they take a Georgia player, they take a first round Georgia player. The world's going to burn down after that. Yeah, no doubt. Brandon, I see your question about who do you think the Falcons are going to pick first? And I think Nolan Smith is absolutely a possibility for someone that the Falcons could take in the first round if they hold on to that eighth spot. If they stay in the eighth spot, then I think it's very it's it's very likely that you could see Nolan Smith fall to the Falcons or not fall to the Falcons, but they but pick him up the there Falcons, yeah. at the eighth overall pick. Um, I think that's an option. I think if Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech, another edge rusher, if he kind of slips in the draft a little bit, the Falcons would probably hop on be that, a steal at the eighth at that point, yeah. pick. If Devon Witherspoon out of Illinois, if he falls to the eighth pick, I think that's another guy that they would love to pick up there. And there's a lot of options. There's Bijan Robinson discussion possibly about the Falcons going there. So I think there's a lot of options with the Falcons. But honestly, I think if it, I think it's, I think they're going to probably go defense. And this is just kind of where I'm leaning. I know that the Falcons have not, at least under Terry Fontenot and. Um, Arthur Smith. I don't think they've picked up a defensive guy in the first round since they took over. I don't think that's happened in the draft, but I think they, it, it, to me, it just seems like that's kind of where things are indicating towards right now. But if they do trade back, like you're talking about Stoddard, you could see them um, maybe do that in hopes of getting Bijan. Like, even if you just go back a couple picks, like if you go back maybe like 12 or 13, if you fall back that far, then you, you probably do pick up Bijan in that instance. Yeah. But if they hold at eight, if they stay at eight, I think they're going defense. And I think they're going to get a Nolan Smith or they're going to get a Tyree Wilson or they're going to pick up a cornerback and like Devon Witherspoon, as I mentioned. So that's kind of where my head is at for the Falcons. But I say all of that to go back to my original point of it really just depends on how the first seven picks go. If the Falcons yeah. are sitting there at eight and the first seven, like Witherspoon's not there anymore, Wilson's not there anymore, and they're kind of stuck between do we want to pick up Nolan Smith right here or do we want to pick up Bijan Robinson, then that's maybe where they kind of make a move and they take a few steps back in the draft and they go a different direction. So it, it really just depends on what happens one through seven. Yeah, and there's another cornerback that's out there is Christian Gonzalez from Oregon Ooh, yeah. um, is, a, is like a, a, a potential pick for the Falcons as well at eight that I wouldn't be mad at. I'm kind of with you. You know, we've, we've talked about this so much in the offseason for the Falcons going into this draft that or into the offseason in general. We were like, man, they have so much cap space available, so much money to spend that as soon as that free agency 
opens up. I want to see them start to make moves. I want to see them start to build their roster that way before it ever gets to the draft. And boy, did they do that to the point where you and I sat back going, man, they met this team need. They met this one. They met this one and kept going through a list. And before the offseason started, you and I were talking. I said, I would be ticked off if they took a skilled position player in that first pick because there's so many other things and you really, really need some help on that defense. So I would have been mad. Now I wouldn't be that mad anymore because they did so much that it would be okay if they went to the offensive side. But I'm still with you. I think I would prefer go on the defensive side, either go to that edge position or go to a cornerback. Um, those would be my areas of focus for sure. My thing with Bijan, and I, I think he's going to be a very good running back in, in, in the NFL, I struggle taking a running back that early. Uh, I struggle taking running backs in the first round in general and especially in the top 10 picks. So if you really, if that is your guy that you're going into this draft saying you want him and you want to make that pick, then you should definitely trade back at least three picks or something like that. Get him at 11, 12, somewhere in that range. Um, Cause I don't think anybody else is necessarily going to scoop him up prior. That's what I would do if, if you really want him. Now, am I going to be upset if the Falcons take him at eight? Not entirely like upset, but would I do it that way? I, I would, I think that they could easily trade back and still get him. That's why I would say, you know, let's let's do that. But we'll see how it all plays out. But yeah, right now, in another one is Lucas Van Ness out of Iowa. Uh, that's another pick that is potential at number eight that has been talked about for a while for for the Falcons. Mm-hmm. So they've really, really heavily looked at that defensive end, edge position, um, outside linebacker, that kind of thing, edge for, for that first pick. So we'll see how it all plays out. I'm excited about it. Uh, but... Before they get to that point, you know, all the stuff that's happened with Jalen Carter this offseason, he's had so much come up and he, he went through a lot of stuff earlier in January, obviously, um, and then was all in the media for over the past few months that kind of hurt him. All of a sudden, you started seeing some people say he could go as late as like 15, 16, and then now it seems like he's kind of locked himself back up into that top five. Like you and I've talked about, he seems like he's almost a lock to go five, six area uh, with Seattle having that fifth pick. It's very, very possible he goes there. Uh, which is where he should be going in general. Like in the top five, he, he's worthy of it. I know there's been some stuff that's happened, and there's uh, like, uh, uh, is it Todd McShay that keeps co- that keeps making comments about like character stuff and locker room stuff? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, we follow Georgia pretty heavily, and we've never heard anything like that about him. So I don't know. Um, I mean, he does talk to people inside that we don't get to talk to, obviously, and he has his sources. I'm not saying he's lying. I've just never seen anything that indicated that he's not a good teammate. Um, and that he's not a team player, that kind of thing. But so I'm, I'm really, really happy to see that he's kind of solidified himself back into that top five area because it's where he should be going. Oh, uh, yeah, I think he, he's without a doubt a top five player in this class. Mel Kuyper for the longest time. He, he's kind of been one of the guys, honestly, that he's kind of st- um, stuck with the stance that Jalen Carter is a top five pick throughout the entire process, even when yeah. the off the field issues were kind of coming, not even the off the field issues, just the pre-draft cycle for him has been a little up and down, not exactly the best showing for him between pro day and just kind of the events that took place after the national championship parade, all of that business. But he's, he's, he's stuck with his, the belief that he thinks Jalen Carter is the best prospect in the draft period, point blank amongst every single player. He thinks he's the best prospect. And he certainly think he even has said that he thinks he's a better defensive prospect than Will Anderson. Like he, he think, but it also has to go with like, there's um, the teams ahead of them, like the Arizona Cardinals, yeah. maybe even the Houston Texans. They're not probably looking for an interior defensive line guy. They're going to shift over to an outside linebacker like Will Anderson. And why wouldn't you? Will yep. Anderson is a phenomenal football player. He's, a he's been athlete. one of the best yeah. defensive players in the country for the past two years, and he's shown out at Alabama, and he's absolutely worth a top five pick. But Jalen Carter is as well. I think Seattle would be a great pick for him. You know, Seattle's had some history of some good defenses in years past. They had to run with the Legion of the Boom with Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, those guys. Um, that defense was nuts. That defense was nuts. And so Jalen Carter could be a, a crucial piece for that Seattle defense getting back on track and kind of anchoring things down because get, get, Jalen Carter is a game changer in the middle of that defense and up front. He could do a lot of things for you. He can line up in multiple spots up front and – He's just a home wrecker. Like that's what he does. He he wrecks offensive lines. He's, he's a disruptor. He does a lot of things for you, and he, he excels at everything. He's very explosive, very physical, and he can do anything for you. He can get after the quarterback. He can stuff the run. He can plug in gaps. 
He's just a big body, a big physical body. And you turn on the tape and you can see that. It's very evident that Jalen Carter is the best player on the field when he is on the football field. And he's shown that the last two or three three years, actually, during his time yeah. at Georgia. There's a reason why, even though Georgia had Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis go in the first round last year, that people were still saying Jalen Carter is the best defensive lineman in that room, even with Jordan yep. Davis and Devontae Wyatt. And he plays like it. He looks like it. He fits the mold of it. And I think he is worth a top five pick, but there's also talk about maybe he falls back to Chicago at nine. And that's, I think the only reason that would happen is if Seattle goes the route of getting a quarterback, maybe like an Anthony Richardson, a guy that can sit behind Geno Smith and develop with him, then you probably would see Jalen Carter go to Chicago at nine, but still top 10 pick. I think he's worth top five. He should go top five, but if he goes nine, top 10 is pretty dang good as well. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a good pick for him at that point. Top 10. Um, and it's one of those things, like you just said, it, it depends on what teams value and what they think their team need is. He is a he is a top five pick, but does one of those top five teams think that they need a defensive tackle that early? It comes down to that's why like I always laugh because a lot of Falcons fans, Georgia fans get so mad because if they didn't take the Georgia player at this position um, or they didn't take this this Georgia player. They were still available at the time. Well, they they didn't necessarily think that that was the position of need, and so they had to go somewhere else. And so it doesn't necessarily work out that way all the time, um, but sometimes it does. Maybe this time, like we said, with Nolan Smith, maybe that's possible with him. But as far as Jalen Carter goes, like same thing. If Jalen Carter's available at eight, I, I don't think the Falcons are going to go that direction um, at the eighth pick. You know what I mean? Like that that's not the position of need. That's the biggest for them. They've solidified their defensive line pretty well in the yeah, offseason. Picked up, picked up through they picked up what two or three guys. Um, two guys, I believe, interior. Two guys. Wise. Yeah, on the interior defensive line. So they don't necessarily need a first round top eight pick at defensive tackle. Um, that's why you don't necessarily see him go off the board right there. But in, as from what you're talking about, yeah, there's a lot of the teams early on that need quarterbacks right now and really value it. And then you got the Cardinals who are projected to take maybe Will Anderson because they do need a defensive guy, but not necessarily a defensive tackle. They they may want that edge guy as well. So, but maybe that would shake things up. Say say that they take Jalen Carter at three because they do go that way, and then all of a sudden Will Anderson he starts to drop a couple picks. Uh, or maybe you see somebody make a trade up to try to get him at that point because he fell out of that area. And mm-hmm. uh, Or maybe you see Seattle change gears because they go, oh, crap, he's available now. Now I want him. Like, uh, it, Lots of things can change in that top five picks very, very quickly with these quarterbacks being honestly kind of hit or miss at the quarterback position. We'll get into that in a few minutes as mm-hmm. well uh, and talk about this quarterback class. But let's keep going with the Georgia boys for right now. In the first round still, we kind of mentioned his name a little bit ago, and and that's Broderick Jones. And like I said, mm-hmm. in that same mock draft that Kuyper and McShay did together, they had him at 13 to the New York Jets. And honestly, I think that's a very good pick uh, for the New York Jets. And I think that's a good spot in general uh, for him to kind of start out because right now they just got – Aaron Rodgers, as of like two days ago, they signed him officially. He needs a tackle. He needs a offensive tackle that's going to protect him. And that would be that's that I feel like that's a big push from him is saying, hey, I need help at this spot because my offensive line, not the best. I could use some some upgrades there. Um, go get a, a really good offensive tackle in Broderick Jones. I think that could be a very good fit and he could have a lot of a success at a team yeah, like that. Yeah, you know, early on in the draft process, like kind of right at the beginning when guys were declaring and you were kind of figuring out who was going to be draft eligible eligible this year and who was leaving early and whatnot. And when Broderick Jones announced like we expected him to, I figured that he was probably going to be OT1 in this class. And I'm still kind of of the belief that he is good enough to be OT1. Now I know that, and I know that the knock, not necessarily the knock against um, Broderick Jones is, but it's just kind of like the, the if there was a con to Broderick Jones, it's that he doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of experience. You know, he started all 15 games yeah. for Georgia this last year at left tackle, but that's essentially it. Outside of the national championship game in 2021, he was riding the pine until then. But he was really freaking good when he was on the field, and he showed out, and he, he was locked down. Didn't allow a single sack, I believe, in 2022 as a full-time yeah. starter, which says a lot, playing in the SEC and playing in 15 games, not giving up a single sack. Like, that's freaking impressive, no matter who you are. So he's he's uber athletic. I mean, just a freak of nature. Watching him at the NFL Combine, you could tell, like, that's not normal. Guys that big shouldn't move like that. He does unspeakable things at his size and his frame. And so I think that's what makes him a very um, 
high value prospect along with like you have 15 games of tape of him at Georgia, really, really good tape. And then also he has all the athletic traits, which makes his ceiling all the way through the ceiling, yeah. you know, th- th- which is a great thing for uh, offensive tackles to have a high ceiling. But I think it's also why he's kind of behind guys like Paris Johnson out of Ohio state and even Skronsky out of Northwestern, who's kind of a dual, like a Swiss army knife up front. Like yeah. maybe you could play him at tackle. Maybe you could play him interior, but I think it's why you have Broderick Jones is probably your third offensive lineman off the board, but still a top 15 pick. And he is a top 15 pick. He's a top 15 prospect oh, for in this sure. class. He's just, it's just a freak of nature, man. And I just, teams would have a hard time passing up on him. And I do think the New York Jets would be a great fit for him. Go play behind a veteran quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. And I think that'd be a great place for him. He'd get to affect um, affect the roster immediately and he'd do well out there. He's going to do well anywhere he goes, but I think that'd be a great place for him to go. Yeah. A lot of people have already like instantly put the Jets on like Super Bowl watch because they got Aaron Rodgers and he can only do so much. And that's why I think like a pick like this is so big for them. And it would be a great one because the first, like a quarterback is only as good as his offensive line in front of him. Like if he is constantly having to evade pressure and he's constantly throwing off balance and, and running for his life, that starts Aaron Rodgers at this age is not doing that. Exactly. So (laughs) he's not going to succeed. He's not going to succeed without a good offensive line, and they definitely have some holes there. So it, I think that's a great fit for him right now as well. Um, then we got some other guys that are looked like we just mentioned a second ago that could potentially go in a late, uh, a late first round, but most likely a earlier second round type pick, maybe mid second round type pick is going to be a, a Darnell Washington. Um, which right now in that same one they had him going forty one overall to Tennessee Titans. Um, what could be a good one? They got rid of Hunter Henry, um, so they they kind of need somebody there. I don't know that I, – I would kind of feel bad for him if he goes there because I think that roster is mm. kind of having a turnover right now. They're yeah, about to they, – you know, they let Henry go. Um, it, I've seen that Tannehill's available for trades now. That's what they were saying. And uh, I've never been the biggest Ryan Tannehill fan in the first place, though. I think he's he's kind of been a no. system – quarterback in the NFL in the sense of like you've got a guy like Derrick Henry behind you so yeah you're going to win games like I think they won a playoff game that he threw the ball like 150 yards or something like that and and I think Derrick Henry had 30 plus carries in that game like he was just pulling through the entire game so it it would be I think he'll still succeed right like he'll still have a good career in a place like that like he's going to go out there he's such a versatile uh, a tight end that we've talked about so much that he's a unicorn because he's so big. He's still mm-hmm. got the speed and athleticism. I mean, he was out here hurdling dudes last season, and um, he, he's going to be able to make plays with his hands. Georgia proved that this past year. There were some questions of how much he would actually be able to do in that area because we haven't used him as much, because especially because we had Brock Bowers. But then the last year, you saw him actually get a lot of looks and still I think he had over 500 yards receiving last season. I think he did um, just under it. Or right at five. Maybe it was 400 and something, yeah. Um, so he was right in there. So he showed that he could make plays there. He's, he's constantly, uh, blocking on the end of the line and doing a phenomenal job, laying people out, having pancake blocks. A lot of people who said he could go play tackle, uh, or a lot of people said he should go play tackle because of his size and athleticism, mm-hmm. that side of it, because he wasn't making as many plays in the passing game, but now he showed he could do that as well, which is why he becomes a freak athlete. So I think he's, he's a perfect NFL tight end. He's not going to be your Travis Kelsey type where he's going to go out and catch the ball that much, but he's going to be a a solid end-of-line blocker that can make plenty of plays for you in the passing game as well. I think he's going to have a, a very, very good NFL career. You know, I think that if, if if Brock Bowers doesn't go to Georgia, Darnell Washington's probably tied in one in this class because, you know, the, the biggest thing about Darnell is like, oh, well, everybody talks about how great he is in the passing game and how great he is as a blocker, but that doesn't show up in the stat sheet. Like, he only had, like, 41 right. career receptions, and he had, like, in his last season, I think he had 474 receiving yards, and he had three touchdowns in his entire career. Like, if he's so good in the passing game, why didn't that show up? Well, it's because Georgia has the best tight end in the 2024 draft class and Bro- Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers would be the yeah. number one tight end in this year's draft class. So because he's 1B to Dar- to Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington didn't get the amount of production that he probably should have gotten as a collegiate athlete. And if he had, he probably is number one tight end in this draft class. And he's just – he it's exactly what you said. He's a unicorn. He's an anomaly. It's something you do not see 
at the tight end position. You don't ever, he's 6'7, 264 yeah. pounds. That's what he measured yep. in at the combine. And on top of that, he ran a solid 40 time as well. Like the, do, the dude moves, he's an athlete. One of the biggest traits about him in the receiving game is his yards after catch, his ability to not right. only catch the ball in traffic, but then pick up yards after that because he's such a big body to bring down that he's going to pick up five or 10 more yards after he even catches the ball. So he can do anything and everything for you. One reason why I do think Tennessee, the Tennessee Titans specifically would be a great fit for him is because he would really just get to do everything that he's really good at. And he would get a lot of usage there because they, they are a pretty run heavy team. They run the ball a good bit. And so you could utilize him in the run game a lot. Like you said, like if you attaching him at the end of line is adding yeah. in another offensive tackle. And then if you want to catch him, catch a defense sleeping in play action pass, something like that, run him a post route over the middle. He's going to kill defenses there as well. He's going to do anything and everything you want him to. He's a guy that you just got to get him the ball and you got to have him on the field because that's where he is best, just affecting the game in all aspects. And so there was for a while, it looked like he was going to be a first round pick. And now he's kind of fallen back into our early second round pick. But I still think there is a possibility that he could be a first round pick. But it also has to do with the fact that teams are higher on Kincaid out of Utah and then also Meyer out of or Mayer out of Notre Dame. Yeah, those guys are. Uh, we'll see what happens. You know, at that position, he, he's he. Like I said, I mean, maybe something changes, and they all of a sudden decide they want like a different style. Because uh, Mayer is, or uh, he's he or Meyer, however you say it, he's a he's more of a pass catching guy as well. He's not as yeah. big of. I mean, he can block on the end of the line as well, but he's not as valuable in that side that Darnell Washington is. So it depends on no. where they really put their value of what they're looking for and the type of offense that they're going to run. Because I think I think he would work for the majority of NFL teams, or like I'm talking about uh, Darnell Washington. He, he's he's what most NFL teams want, but there's plenty of them out there that if they can get one that's going to be able to catch the ball a lot um, and and make a lot of plays in that side of it, that that's the way they're going to go. Because that's the way of the NFL. We talked about this a lot as in the past, saying like in the NFL, if you if you have an elite tight end, like your offense can almost run through that player because they create so many mismatches. It's such an unfair advantage with the Travis Kelsey's of the world out there. Like that's just, it, it's unreal what you can do with a player like that. Uh, the Falcons haven't been able to see that much out of Kyle Pitts just yet. Cause he hasn't had that type of production. Um, but as the offense progresses and as Ritter gets comfortable, I, I would like to see, hopefully he has a pretty big year coming up this year and jo- and uh, the Falcons can build around that type of player as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. Those tight ends are very, very valuable, though. So not surprised to see him going early in the second round if he doesn't make it in the first round. Um, I, once again, I think that could be a very good fit for him. I don't know how much Tennessee is going to continue to be a run-heavy team like they have in the past because they don't have Derrick Henry anymore. Yeah. And maybe they don't, they get rid of Tannehill, so maybe they're going to be – they have Malik Willis, uh, but he didn't look so great every time he got but to even play last then, season. They, they wanted to move on from him already now, I think. That's like, what I'm saying. Was talking- he, didn't, he didn't look that good last year. No. So if they move on from him, they they could completely change their style of their offense, you know, because they're getting rid of their big key pieces. So I, they may not end up being a run heavy offense anymore. We don't like we won't know. I think they're going to be very different potentially. So we'll see how it plays out for them though. Um, next on our list, as far as a potential second round draft pick or late first round, if he could make it up there, is Keeley Ringo. And Keeley is a guy that, you know, a lot of Georgia fans have gotten mad at over the years that he's been at Georgia. Obviously, he made the huge play against Alabama, got the pick six, and he's kind of thrown into the history books for that. It's a video and a a play that people will watch for the rest of time of Georgia fans. It's something that you'll always be able to look back at. So he, he stamped his name in the history books at Georgia. A lot of Georgia fans haven't loved him over the past season, though, because they felt like he he blew some coverages or got beat over top. And um, I think a lot of that got blown out of proportion because a lot of that came off of like a TV copy where you're looking at a play the way it goes and you don't necessarily see what his responsibility was or where he was supposed to be playing. And he wasn't always supposed to be the deep guy on that play. And so somebody gets behind him and all of a sudden he's chasing down that kind of thing. I think a mm-hmm. lot of it uh, kind of happened that way. But he's a guy that in the NFL, right, especially at cornerback, that's another position that the measurables – are super important. Think about like when Eric Stokes went as early as he did to the Packers. That was kind of surprising at first, but in reality, it was because he was a, a he was a blazer. Like you have you get a really We're fast cornerback. Four, four. Yeah, you get a really fast cornerback, and that's what they, they go early in the draft if they as long as they've put up enough film to kind of support it as well. And he's another guy that what did uh, Keeley just ran what a four three six I think something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so he's another burner, and so. 
once again, like we talked about earlier, maybe maybe the Falcons, uh, Witherspoon goes to uh, in front of the Falcons. The Falcons take um, Gonzalez, and then all of a sudden, maybe they start freaking out about cornerbacks, and all of a sudden, he jumps up that list, and he goes in the first round because they start panicking, and they, they, they start really pulling that position. All of a sudden, he becomes a first-round draft pick again. Uh, it, it could be interesting to see how he plays out in this draft. I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens with his name. Man, cornerbacks in general, but Kaylee Ringo's been a prime example of this, and he's been a victim of this. People overreact about cornerbacks so much, and it's it's a hard position to play, and it's unfortunate that – unfortunately, it's a position that anytime you get beat, all of a sudden on the timeline, oh, Keely Ringo's getting toasted. Keely Ringo's getting burned. Yeah. Keely Ringo's a bum. Keely Ringo can't cover. We saw it in the LSU game. We saw it happen in the Ohio State game, and then – Honestly, when you bet, went back and watched the film, though, and Brooks Austin did a great job of doing this in his film breakdowns, he showed, like, guys, just because you see number five in on the play and a guy catches the ball, that doesn't mean that Keely Ringo was the one that gave up that play or that was Keely Ringo's assignment. Like, it, yep. it, there's just this notion that like, – and the, here's the thing, too. Like, if Keely Ringo gets beat twice in a game, it's, oh, my gosh, Keely Ringo can't cover. Keely Ringo's overrated. Man – if you're getting thrown at 10 times a game and you give up two plays, you you lock down 80% of the time, that's really pretty freaking good. good. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> that good. is really freaking good. But it's those two plays that everybody wants to focus on. And it's just like that is that is the centerfold of Keely Ringo is those two plays that he may have given up against Ohio State, against Marvin Harrison Jr. You know, that that's what everybody is focusing in on. And it it's bull crap is what it is. And it sucks that he's he's been the victim of that. And now there's talk that like, Oh, well, Keely Ringo should move to safety. No, Keely Ringo does not need to move to safety. That, that is so stupid. A guy that started for two years at Georgia as a cornerback, started for two years, every single game, like yep. it, and succeeded, was really, really good at his job, did really, really well. And now you want to flip him over to safety. Like It just doesn't make sense. Like, yeah, I get it. Keely Ringo has the body type maybe of someone that could play safety, but that doesn't mean he should or can. Keely Ringo, what's Keely Ringo's best tra- trait, Jeremiah? Tell me. His best trait? I mean, yeah, his what's speed. his best trait? Yeah, it's his speed. Running with a guy, running yeah. side by side. And that is what you need a guy like Keely Ringo to do in man coverage. We need you to stick on this guy running side by side with him down the boundary. Go watch or him anywhere. Go watch that field. Tennessee game and watch him run Hyatt's route and intercept the ball because yeah. he's running step first and, and one of the faster wide receivers in the game and one of the better wide receivers in college football last year as well. Running the route with him and picking the ball off because he basically got in front of him. And like when he's when he is in man coverage, he's not getting beat. He's not. I don't know that. Um, like size, I see you say size, Dan. I think it's because like size is his be- one of his best traits because he is so fast. You know, Eric Stokes' best trait was his speed because he could run a sub four four, and he did at the NFL Combine. He's been really successful in the league. Keely Ringo is even more of a better prospect because he's he can run a sub four four. And he has tremendous size at his position. That's what makes Keely Ringo so valuable in this draft class. And I hate that he's kind of fallen in the draft order a little bit because I think it just kind of seemed like at the there at the tail end of the season and at the end of his career, there was kind of just buzz about him being really bad in coverage. And that's just not the case. That's not Keely yeah. Ringo. Keely Ringo was never a liability for Georgia in the secondary. So whoever does get him in the second round, if that is where he falls, that's a great value pick in my opinion. And I think, and I still think like the same thing with Broderick Jones, like Keely Ringo is still a very young football player and he still has room to grow. Like he started two seasons at Georgia, but those were the only two seasons that he played. So he had two seasons of college football. And so he still has a lot of room to grow. There's still room for growth there. He has a high ceiling. And so that's someone that you can continue to develop. And he's only going to get better the more football that he plays. So whoever picks him up, you're going to get a high value draft pick. And I think he's going to do really well in the league. Yeah, absolutely. He's going to do it. He's going to do fantastic in the league. He is an NFL type cornerback. He really is like he can play tight man coverage. He's got the speed to run with all these really, really ridiculously fast wide receivers that you get in the game nowadays, especially in the NFL level. Um, So he's the he's the type that they're going to want. Uh, I think a lot of it, like you were talking about with Georgia at Georgia is we didn't he did do a lot of like zone type coverage assignments and so that means you're staying where you're supposed to be and so sometimes it can look especially on the tv copy it can very much look like he gets beat but it's not his responsibility maybe somebody else blew Mm -hmm. their responsibility behind him he's supposed to have help or something like that um and it, it is what it is. Like, I, look, I always go back to a game, and I was so mad about this one for a long time. The first national championship game that Georgia played in, and Malcolm Parrish got beat on that second and 26. 
touchdown pass that ends the game. Malcolm Parrish on tape looked like he was the responsible party, but he was supposed to have, if you watch it from another angle, you can see the safety is supposed to be helping him. And Tua looked the safety to the right, and he looks to the right. You see the safety bite in that way. He instantly pops his head back left and throws it over there. So he took the safety out of the play. So it looked like Malcolm Parrish was the one that blew the play, but it wasn't his fault at the end of the day, in my opinion, because I think he was supposed to have safety help over top. He ended up not having it. So that's the kind of stuff that that happens to corners, and it is what it is. They take the the, the rap for it by the fans, but the coaching staff obviously knows what their responsibility was, and that's what actually matters. And that's why you continue to see those guys get playing time because they don't think they're actually getting beat. They know they're not actually getting beat. May not be responsible for it. But anyways, let's move on to some other guys. There's a lot. Of, I think there's a total of 12 draft eligible guys this year. Um, I think maybe 10 of them are probably going to get drafted. Uh, realistically, I think that's a good number. There's a couple yep. of guys that probably aren't going to go off the board. Um, so it won't be like last year where every single draft eligible player got taken. I think there was 15 total and yep. all of them got drafted last year. So I don't think that's going to happen this year. But we went through the first like two two rounds that I think those guys are going to go. Who else is like, who else do you think can go in those first two days, like the the second, third round of the draft? Is there another name that you think could potentially end up that high? Kenny McIntosh is one that comes to mind. I think he's he someone could go that could third, I think. I think he yeah. could go third round. Um you haven't really heard that much about him in the draft process. Um, and I don't know exactly why that is. I think that's just also has to do with like, you know, running backs aren't as highly valued anymore. And when you have a guy like Bijan Robinson, that is really valued very highly in a draft class that kind of probably pushes back a lot of other names in the class, which Kenny McIntosh is probably falling victim to that a little bit, but Kenny McIntosh is as versatile as they come as a running back. He can, he proved that at Georgia, he could do anything and everything you wanted him to. And he was really successful with that. So I think he's someone that could probably go in that third round range might be a bit of a reach. I don't know if he gets there. I think he's more of a fourth round type guy, but I think Robert Beal is a guy that maybe could sneak up quicker than people think. I think you could hear his name called earlier than expected. I know he doesn't have the production. He had like 71 career tackles, um, 10 sacks. And I want to say like 14 and a half tackles for loss <coughs> in five years um, at Georgia. But in 2018, as a true freshman, Robert Beal was playing on Georgia's defense, and he was a meaningful contributor on Georgia's defense from 2018 until 2022 when his last game was played in the national championship against TCU. He's played meaningful snaps on this defense. He started eight games in 2022. He led the team in sacks with six and a half in 2021, and that was him basically like his role didn't really progress until the latter half of the season when his role, when he got an uptick in um, snaps because Adam Anderson was no longer with the football team after Florida after the Florida game. Yeah. So this is like the production's not there, and that's going to be his the biggest knock against him is that he's like, well, he spent five years in college, and his stat sheet does not look like it. I get it. Well, Georgia is not a very – there's not a lot of Georgia players, honestly, outside of maybe the linebackers occasionally, that are going to be stuffing the stat sheet like you would expect someone to. Robert Beal is an example of that. He got sacks. He played really well. He had a, a very high number of tackles for loss and a very high number of sacks over the course of his career. I think he has tremendous size of the position. I think that's his best trait coming into the draft is that he measured out really well at the combine. And I think he ran a pretty solid 40 yard as well, if I can find it here real quick. So I think he's someone that could sneak in there at the third round, but I think all in all the first two days, I think that's about where the list ends is Robert Beal, so. Kenny McIntosh, Keely Ringo, Darnell Washington, Broderick Jones, um, Nolan Smith, and then um, Jalen Carter. That's about yeah. Is there uh, Robert Bill ran a four four eight? Yeah, and he's he measured at six foot four, two forty seven. So I mean, dude, dude can move. Yeah, he's moving fast at that size for sure. What What do you think the chances of like a? Because I've always I don't know if he would go this high either. Um, but like a Chris Smith, you think he could possibly? I I think he could be a fourth round guy. I don't know that he would go as high as Maybe. three. He may not go as high as fourth round. Um, but I think he's going to be – I think he's kind of a steal for somebody late in the draft as well. I've been pumping that train, baby. I've been saying that Christopher Smith dessert is worthy of a second-round pick. Chris, Christopher Smith fits that mold. Gosh, he was so good. And I love watching Christopher Smith's tape. He's he's so intelligent, and he moves quickly. Like, 
I know he didn't test that well the combine, but that's because, and that's a reason why you, to really understand how good Christopher Smith is, you have to go watch his tape because yeah, at the combine, he didn't exactly show off. He didn't exactly stand yeah. out amongst the rest of the safety class. But when you watch his tape, he's moving before anybody else does. And that's why he looks like the quickest player on the football field because he's moving before anyone else does. He has the instincts to play that position and he can play it at a really, really high level. And so I, I think that he's probably going to end up being maybe a late fourth round, fifth round type pick because the draft is such a measurables game and an intangibles game and a size game and the traits game. That's what it is. And Christopher Smith, unfortunately, does not have that. I think he measured in at like 5'11", something like that. And so he's not going to stand out, unfortunately, when guys are looking for safeties. But he's, he's another name that whoever does pick him up, if you get Christopher Smith in the fourth or fifth round, that's a really high value pick. And he's probably going to end up being in the NFL for a really long time because that's just who he's just that good. That's Christopher Smith knows the game of football really well and he plays it really successfully. Yeah, absolutely does. So it'll be exciting to go uh, that route. We're at the 40 minute mark. So we're going to try to go through this a little quicker to some other spots. Uh, Cause I know we really wanted to talk about the quarterback uh, mm. class in general, before we jump into the, the main guys that are going to go in the first day and the first couple picks, got our boy Stetson Bennett who I think is valuable enough to go as high as the third round. I don't think he's going to go that high, especially with everything that's going on at this point. Um, I think he's probably fourth, fifth, you know, maybe sixth round guy at this point. He's kind of starting to fall on people's boards uh, with everything that's happened with him. So, but it will be exciting to see where he goes. And I think he could have an NFL career, especially, you know, be a valuable backup somewhere. Um, I don't, he's not going to go in somewhere and start games immediately and start, you know, running a football team, obviously, but we loved him here in Athens. Uh, one of the greatest to ever put on the red and black at Georgia ever. Um, so it'll be, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do in the NFL, where his best fit will be. I don't know. Uh, but that's a, that's a name that we're all going to be paying a lot of attention to and waiting and waiting and waiting for it to come off the board. Yeah. He's probably going to be that fifth round, sixth round range. kind of what it's looking like at this point. There was talk about him potentially going in the fourth round earlier in the draft process, but now later on down the road, that's not exactly yeah, the case he started anymore. To slip. Yeah, he started to slip a little bit. You know, there was talk about he didn't exactly hit a home run or hit the ball out of the park during the interview process. He didn't really show off there. And then, of course, with his um, his arrest and stuff like that, that hasn't helped him out either. But I still think Stetson Bennett does have value on an NFL roster. There's value to being a backup quarterback. Every team needs them. You have yeah. to have a backup quarterback on your roster. There's value to it. But I think it's funny because, you know, I just mentioned – that um, Robert Beal, uh, the knock against him is that he didn't exactly stuff the stat sheet, and that's probably why he's not going to go as highly as he as he will. Um, but the quarterback position seems to be the complete opposite. It doesn't matter what your stats look like, i.e. Um, Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. It doesn't matter what your stats look like. If you're six foot four, 220 pounds, and you can sling that football around, and you look good doing it, and spandex and a tank top, then boy, you're going to be high up on our draft board. That's why I made the joke a couple weeks ago. Like, I guess I need to go declare for the NFL draft because I'm 6'6", 210. So on paper, all these NFL organizations are going to be like, who's this Jonathan Williams kid? Because he looks good. He he must be able to throw a football if he's that tall. Like, if this is a traits game, if that's what we're going off of, then we'll we'll take a shot on him. And Stetson Bennett's stat sheet looked really well in his last yeah. year at Georgia. It looked really well. Over 4, Best that any passing. quarterback at Georgia's ever done, man. Yeah, it looked really well. But then, yet the quarterbacks that are in the conversation are Will Levis, potentially. Like I mentioned him earlier in the episode, of he, there's talk that he could be the first overall pick. A guy that I believe started 26 football games at Kentucky and threw 26 interceptions. Like, um what are we doing there? Anthony Richardson, who I believe didn't even have a career 50% completion percentage as a gator. Uh that's kind of alarming. Yeah, like I and if we if I if we are going to play the traits game and we're we are going to take a shot on a quarterback purely off of how he looks throwing on air and in practice, I'm probably going to go Anthony Richardson over Will Levis just because oh, yeah. Anthony Richardson is has everything that you cannot teach. He has everything that you cannot teach a quarterback. He has the speed, he has the size, he has the physicality, he has the arm, everything. Will Levis has the size and the arm but there is not some, there clearly is not something clicking up top in his brain when the when lights come on and it's time to go down on Saturday. It freezes up. He, yeah. Yeah. There's just something about like he's gonna look good for three throws in a row. And then the next five are gonna be like, 
what in the crap? Who what who are you throwing to? Like, why are we making that decision? And Kentucky runs a pro style of offense. They that's what they ran with Will Levis because I can't remember the guy, but they brought an offensive coordinator in, I believe, from the Los Angeles Rams, who ran who ran that offense. Like that was what they were yeah. running with Will Levis at Kentucky. They weren't throwing the ball 30 or 40 times a game. But that's a pro-style offense, and he did not succeed in that offense. So even throwing the ball 25 times a game, it didn't look great. So I just don't understand it. I don't know why teams are overthinking it. I don't know why they're going to do this to themselves, and I don't know why someone is going to take Will Levis as a top-10 pick in this draft. But it looks like they're going to, and I don't get it. And I just it has me scratching my head, and I'm just kind of like, clearly what you do in college now does not matter. That does not matter what you do at all. It doesn't, you could not, at this point, you could probably not even start a single game in college. And if you go out there at the combine and you go out there and throw on air and you look great, then you're probably going to be a top 10 pick if you got the size in the arm. That's just kind of where I'm at right now. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. No, that's exactly what we've gotten into. Um, and I, I, it'll be exciting to see how all that kind of stuff plays out over the years, you know, because it's becoming such a focus. We were talking about this earlier with Harrison and Dan um, today. And it's one of those things that's like, this seems like a new focus over the past couple of seasons where they've really, really emphasized this so much that they're completely ignoring college football tape, uh, like on players like Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. And um, then we always see all this hype about them, right? Like we see them at their pro days. We see them, you know, throwing and yeah. and like videos of their workouts getting posted. And it's like, yeah, they can throw it when nobody's in their face, when they're not having to run, when they're not having to worry about the team, when they're not having to read a defense and see what that that safety all of a sudden drops down on them and and picks off the ball or something like that like you don't get the game tape is not good for either of those players um and the biggest thing with Anthony Anthony Richardson is like what we heard all year and what we've heard all offseason is he's got so much potential the ceiling is so high for him there, there's you know a famous quote of man saying somebody has potential just means they're not good right now he's not good right now and so if an NFL like team is going to take him that early in the draft, that means they're betting on themselves to, like you said, he's got all of the, 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 the things you cannot teach. So that means they're betting on themselves to say, I can fix that. I, we talked about that earlier today too with Dan and Harrison was like, there's so many of these guys, these coaching staffs out there that think they're so good that it doesn't matter what he did in college. If he's got the physical abilities, I can teach him how to do the rest of it. And then he'll become the complete package and, and have something. But if I were to take somebody else, they don't have all the physical traits. I can only teach them so much and the physical traits are still going to you know limit their ceiling. I, I just, I really don't see those two succeeding that well in, in the, at the next level. I don't think they're going to have those big careers. I could be wrong and I, I'm not wishing bad things on them. I hope they, I hope they succeed you know, cause I'm not trying to sit here and, and wish bad things upon somebody. I don't, I don't like when other people do that. I'm not going to do that either, but if it were me and I was taking a quarterback right now, the only quarterback that I personally would want to take, well, there's two that you could take. I mean, you could still take Bryce Young that like, obviously um, he's done a lot in college and he doesn't have the measurables either. So people are looking at, at him mostly because of his ability from what he was able to do in college. So that's, that's the example there. But CJ Stroud, man. CJ Stroud is a bigger guy still. He can still throw the ball very well. I watched him play. My opinion on him changed so drastically after that Georgia game because I had the I had the opinion on Ohio on Ohio State quarterbacks that they were one read quarterbacks and that's what they've been for so long and they that's all they can do and then they're going to run. Well, he wasn't looking to run a lot. He ran a few times and act like gashed us in that game. But he was reading the defense. He would get to his third, fourth read and still make big plays and buy time and find these guys downfield. Like he was doing something I didn't get to see many Ohio State quarterbacks do. And that was the thing that kind of sold me on him. If I was a team in need of a quarterback and I had a pick in the top five, that's the name I'd be looking at personally. Yeah, I think C.J. Stroud is the most NFL-ready quarterback in this draft class. That's including Bryce Young. I think Bryce Young is going to do really well in the NFL draft. I like Bryce Young a lot. He he doesn't have the size that a lot of these other names that we're talking about have, but he's a gamer. He's a baller, and a lot. He had a lot of success at Alabama, and the NFL has been pretty good to um, Alabama quarterbacks that were successful at, at the college level. So I think um, Bryce Young is going to be another example of that. I would even say that Hendon. I'm kind of shocked Hendon Hooker's name isn't higher up on the list a little bit. I know that he's an older guy. He's 25 years old, yada, yada, yada. And he gets kind of knocked for playing in that Tennessee defense a little bit. But I think, I mean, he put up good numbers at Tennessee and he 
he's a traits guy as well. He has a really good arm. He's has good size. He's pretty mobile. He looks, he's a really good, he's a pretty solid runner. So I, I think he's another guy. But so it's just, it, it seems like we're having a repeat year ex- of exactly what happened with the New York Jets and Zach Wilson or what happened with the Tennessee Titans and Malik Willis, like that type of stuff. Like, yeah, they looked good at their pro day when no one was in their face rushing after them and there was no defenders. Yeah, that arm looks really good. He can throw it a mile and a half. Or they, or he can throw and it they still mile. looked – both of those guys, they still looked good in college, but they were playing at BYU and Liberty. But, yeah. Like, but, they but everybody else the level knew, of competition like, wasn't necessarily there. And everybody knew that there was a question mark about Malik Willis's accuracy. Like, hey, like, we're not sure – like, yeah, he can throw it hard and he can throw it far. Things sling but, it, yeah. He can't throw it here like nine out of 10 times. That's what we need him to do. We need him to put all of that together and throw it here nine out of 10 times, but he can't do that. And then the, what you just mentioned was Zach Wilson of like, yeah, he looked really good in college, but he was playing at BYU and we're not exactly sure if that's going to translate. So there's kind of questions about that. Both of those things pretty evidently showed up in the NFL. Neither one of those guys have had much success. They get, they've had some shots to kind of take over those teams and it hasn't really worked out. So I think it's just kind of a repeat of that. As you said, though, I hope Will Levis does succeed. I'm not praying on the man's downfall. Yeah. I'm not praying on Anthony Richardson's downfall whatsoever. I hope they have good fortune in their NFL careers, and I hope they prove me wrong. But I'm just saying, if we're lo- with how QB heavy this draft class is looking, specifically in the first round, I think we're looking in the wrong directions, and we're looking at the wrong people to fill those voids. Yeah, I agree. It's an interesting draft class. This isn't the best one we've had in a in a, in a while. Obviously, um, you know, CJ Stroud's a really good quarterback, and you still got Bryce Young. But I think outside of those two, uh, you kind of you know don't have that much there in this draft class. And uh, so we'll see what happens in the next couple of years. You know, Caleb Williams is popping up next year, and a few other guys. Maybe a Georgia quarterback Drake might name. make their name. Yeah, Drake May. There, there's some quarterbacks that'll be pretty good in, in next year's draft class as well. So if I were one of those teams picking early, I might hold off and try to get. If I wasn't going to get C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, I would probably try to hold off and, uh, or maybe I take one of the other guys or somebody else later in in the rounds and not in the first round, and then I try to hit a home run next year and and, and get a pick like that early on. Uh, but. I'm not the ones that are, I'm not an NFL GM or head coach, so I don't get to make those picks. And they are a lot smarter than me. I'm not going to lie to y'all there. I'm not saying that we are smarter than these guys that do this for a living. Um, There's a a reason why we're in our living rooms. I don't know. Yeah. There's a reason why we're in our living rooms on a Wednesday night talking about the draft, and those guys are actually going to be at the draft making those decisions. There's a reason. Yeah, absolutely. But, we get to do this, though, and have a good time doing it. We will definitely have an episode next week recapping the draft and going over uh, the picks and kind of how we feel about the fits for where everybody does go from Georgia. So make sure you tune in for that next week. Uh, but, Jonathan, that's all I got for this week. Yeah, that's all I got. I'm going to do my duties of like and subscribe to us. We had um, we had some new subscribers over the last couple of weeks, and hopefully you guys tuned in. I saw some new faces in the comments, so glad you guys are here. Glad you guys are showing up for us. Hit that like button. As I said, it helps us continue to grow. Hitting that like button does a lot for us. Subscribing helps us grow this family that we're trying to build at the Classic City Sports Podcast. You guys are great about all those things, about supporting us and showing up every single week. And we appreciate you guys. We love all of you, and we appreciate you for tuning in this week. And, yeah, next week we'll be talking about the draft, what happened, some surprises maybe that occurred throughout the um, couple days throughout the draft maybe guys that went higher or lower than we expected so it's going to be a good episode next week so make sure to come back for wednesday at 8 p.m and stoddard you could say the golden phrase for us as always y'all keep it classy in the classic city we will catch you guys next week thank you for listening to this week's episode of classic city sports Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Classic City Sports Crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at The Stodfather, to Jonathan at Dr. Underscore J. Will, and make sure to follow at Classic City Pod for show updates. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime... Expression of sentiments of the entire Bulldog Nation.